Welcome to You, But More Powerful. I'm your host, Rhiannon, and this is your go-to podcast for raw and expansive messages from health, fitness, business, and mindset, and as always, with a little bit of fun sprinkled in. My purpose is to help you step into your most powerful self and build your dream life. You'll gain clarity, connection, and confidence with a whole lot of practical skills along the way. I know you're in exactly the right place to level up, build the body, mindset, and life you absolutely love and thrive in. Let's go. Welcome back to another podcast episode, You But More Powerful. And today we have special guest, Sam. He is a private practice dietitian working with a whole range of people with various medical conditions and in particular athletes, which is the absolute vibe here. <laughs> um, Sam, welcome. And I do just want to hear a little bit of a background about yourself and you know what got you into the profession and yeah, take it from there. Yeah, thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I guess um, at the moment now I'm coming on three years of being an accredited practicing dietitian. Um, I completed my degree at the University of Wollongong. Um, my final year was actually during 2020, um, which oh. obviously, as we all know, was COVID. So that was very, very interesting. Mm. But yeah, I guess taking it back a step further, getting into nutrition was something I didn't really think about till I got into years 11 and 12. Um health and I guess um, sports has always been a passion of mine growing up and as I got a bit older I think you start to think about what career you want to do and one thing for me was well what career can I do that really supports this passion so as I think a lot of people do you go onto the university website you have a look at the different degrees out there and I saw um, a Bachelor of Nutrition and Dietetics so applied for it from there um, just before my HSC and was lucky enough to get a interview in a position and yeah really haven't looked back so it's been um a really interesting journey so far um worked in a lot a few different areas which have been really nice and I think the most important thing I've met some really amazing people along the way as well yeah that's awesome so I have a few questions now I'm like oh yeah we yeah. need to hear a little bit more about this um 2020 like last year <laughs> I can imagine that would have been hectic tell me more yeah absolutely so in your final year of um university um in dietetics, it will vary from university to university, but you essentially have to do some clinical placements as well as a research project. Um, so my research project was um, surrounding um, food labels, particularly among yoga products. Now, part of my, that research really involved me going to these supermarkets and analysing different food labels, which, if you remember back, we actually were in lockdown for the majority of the year. So it was actually very difficult to go there. But I was lucky enough that we started um, my research project early that I was able to collect most of the data before we hit that March lockdown. But it was extremely difficult and I think really quite a stressful time for everyone as well. So I guess the research project along with clinical placements, which were some of them were done remotely, some of them were changed last minute, really did test us. And I think it has really served us all well in terms of becoming really health professionals and really understanding the impact COVID can have, not only, I guess, on ourselves, but also others as well. I think when we're in placements, we saw really the impact, the impact on the hospital system, as well as um, individuals' lives as well. So it was really, it was a great learning experience, even though it was quite difficult, especially in that final year. Yeah. And beautifully said, like, I think there's two things that popped out as you were as speaking. I was like, the first thing is just a reminder, don't leave things to the last minute because yeah. you don't know what's around the corner. <laughs> Absolutely. 
everyone that's studying and they're listening to this, start doing your work, you know, space it out. Don't leave it till last. Um, but also is the, you know, the, the connection and stuff or like just being able to see how we can serve people from all different areas, like utilizing Zoom, utilizing different tools to our disposal. Like we have that technology. And I think, I don't know, this is my personal opinion. I don't want to get political here, but it's like, technology is always emerging technology. Like I remember doing studies um, and certain projects when I was back in school and I was always like, okay. And it was the pros and cons of technology. And I remember I was always on the side of like tech, tech, tech. Um, yeah. Mike will listen to this and be like, yeah, definitely. Like I'm, everything is tech for me, but um, yeah. it's kind of like, if we fight that, like there's, there's pros and cons always, and we won't go down that rabbit hole, but it's like, it actually presented a good opportunity to learn more about the way that we can, you know, bridge out from where we were. And yeah, a whole bunch of like, I'm sure challenges as well. That's, that's for sure. Oh, no, I was just going to say like, in terms of um, technology, I think we've all learned how to use different um, video conferencing programs in the last few years. And I think they've served us really well. I think not only in terms of during those COVID years, but also connecting with people as well. I think it's a lot different to sending an email or um, sending a text message. You can actually really have that face-to-face connection, even if you're on other sides of the world or you're unfortunately um, in lockdown due to COVID. So I think it has presented a lot of great opportunities, but as you said, a lot of big challenges as well to overcome. But I think, honestly, I think society in general is going to be better for it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It's just, we recently just had um, the photo shoot. And by the time people listen to this podcast episode, it's probably not going to be just recently we had the photo shoot, but anyway, that that's fine. Um, but they'll be able to have a look at the archives and it's like the, you know, a couple, um, all of actually, no, I'm just thinking now a couple of the people I actually hadn't seen in the flesh. We'd had lots of conversations um, and a few people had traveled interstate and it was the second time that I got to meet them. And it's just that first initial, like you forget that you haven't actually met in person, but you feel like you already <laughs> have that connection. Like it's so bizarre, but it's also really, really cool. Anyway, I know that we didn't come on here to talk about all technology and um, yeah. <laughs> Getting on a tangent is always good, um, but I do think, you know, there's a lot of value um, just in the conversation that we were having, like we said, having a bit of a chat off air for, you know, 10, 20 minutes and we're like, hang on a minute, we need to talk about this like on the podcast episode and really <laughs> get into the weeds. <laughs> um So there's a few things for us to cover off on today. One in particular that I think that you're really passionate about is obviously, you know, um, certain diet types, anti-inflammatory type diets and, you know, how, how they're suited for certain people. And I'm really, you know, obviously passionate about like, a lot of women are, you know, presenting with certain hormonal conditions. And it's like, you know, a lot of these things kind of complement each other, you know? So I want to hear a little bit more about, yeah, what, like, tell me about the anti-inflammatory diets and who they're best suited for. Yeah, absolutely. So The anti-inflammatory diets, the reason I wanted to touch on this today, it's something that's been coming up with a few clients I've been seeing, getting a few questions about it. So I thought, what better time than to answer them on a podcast? So when we talk about anti-inflammatory diets, there's a few around and on social media, you might see different ones as well. The main few are ones called the Mediterranean diet and the DASH diet. So the Mediterranean diet, it's um, quite actually a um, good diet in terms of providing overall nutrition quality. So it really focuses on those main food groups, whether they be grains, protein, fruits, vegetables, and really focuses on reducing that added sugar consumption, refined grains, things like that. It's really, it's shown some really good um, benefits in terms of um, clinical studies, trials that have been done, particularly around bone health, and also reducing the risk of chronic disease as well. 
I think it's something that I think should be explored definitely as a solid base and foundation for um, how we approach nutrition, as it really follows the Australian dietary guidelines as well in terms of the five main food groups and really focusing on having that varied approach, which is something I know we've talked about before, Rianne, and it's something that I really focus on and really having that balanced approach where we can. And that's similar with the other diet I mentioned called the DASH diet. So this DASH diet essentially stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. And what its main focus is, it's essentially the five main food groups and also but a real emphasis on reducing our sodium or our salt intake as well. And I think this diet's really good. It's really good for people who are suffering from hypertension or have maybe that elevated risk of cardiovascular disease, as it really provides that really great over um, framework and really focuses on certain areas that I think are really important for everyone's diet. As you mentioned, different medical conditions as well can be really important. I think when we talk about diets, we need to be very careful in terms of not, I guess, labeling it a diet, but more a way of eating. I know there's a lot of different diets out there on social media that advocate for different things, and they certainly have benefits and negatives, as do anti-inflammatory diets as well. But I think as an overall eating pattern, these diets do provide a really great framework. Yeah, no. And when it comes to, you know, diets, I often refer to them as like a nutritional strategy. And I really talk about like, what is your nutritional strategy and how we're going to come up with your best nutrition protocol? Because like you said, there's pros and cons to absolutely everything. And I know like we won't go down this kind of path, but about like the keto diet, right? There's actually benefits from a neurological standpoint, but there's also a lot of like cons to this type of diet type as well. So it's like these, all of these have, I I remember I did actually a workshop um, about the different diet types and kind of like pros and cons because it's not like shit on one type thing and not praise one type thing and I know that you don't have that same stance either yeah. um, it's very much about like client first what do they need where are they at meeting them with where they're at and making those adjustments you can't just reinvent the wheel overnight it's just about implementing yeah. those small changes <laughs> absolutely absolutely and I think when it comes to some of these eating patterns or diets I think sometimes it's almost about taking certain bits of them and implementing them into someone's nutrition strategy or diet plan, but not taking everything or not taking nothing at the same time. And as you said, I think when it comes to certain diets, there's definitely positives and negatives and basing it on the client and the current evidence and research around at the moment is really important. And I think as we've talked about before, nutrition is a relatively new science and things are always changing. So one minute, a certain diet might not be good for us and the next minute it might be the best thing. So it's really important that we just keep following the research and keep up to date with what the evidence is saying. Yeah, no, perfectly said. So I think like when I, you know, am talking to certain clientele and I I know that we've spoken before is kind of falling into two type categories, you know, maybe someone really, really new to like health and fitness and looking to kind of, you know, develop some um, nutritional literacy, you know, make some really good progress in terms of their overall health, well-being, fitness, physique type you know, strength goals. And then on the other side of that, someone who's, you know, well-versed in the gym, they've maybe tried out a whole bunch of all of these different diet types that we're talking and, you know, they've kind of hit a bit of a plateau and they're more at that kind of intermediate type advanced kind of stage in terms of their training and their nutrition. So obviously these two approaches are going to be very, very different, um, but they all adhere to those overarching fundamental principles. So when we talk about those fundamentals, like what would you refer to those as? Yeah, no, really great question. And you're absolutely right. So When it comes to when we're talking to a client or when we're approaching nutrition, I think it is important to see where the person's at in terms of their stage of change and also what they understand about nutrition. I think this is sometimes forgotten by people that um, it's really important that we really across what we know, what we might 
be a little bit, might have a little bit less knowledge on and really go from there. In terms of really providing the foundational base, and I sound like a bit of a broken record saying this, I know, but I know the Australian Dietary Guidelines provide a really great overview to start. I think once we've got that down packed in terms of the five main food groups, making sure, I know everyone's heard this before, making sure we're getting our vegetables in, making sure we're having enough protein throughout the day, meeting our nutrition, vitamin requirements, and this can all be achieved through following the dietary guidelines, then we can really be more specific. So I know, Rhiannon, you have a lot of athlete um, clients as well. So their energy requirements might be increased slightly. So it might be elevating certain parts of this, these guidelines or certain food groups and potentially minimising others as well. So I think it's a really individual, um, nutri uh, when it comes to nutritional strategies, it really has to be individual. But I think that overall base and framework really allows people to grow and really understand what certain things are to focus on in nutrition and really build on there depending on the individual circumstances, what their goals are and what they already know about nutrition as well. Yeah, perfectly said. And I'm having a little bit of a giggle to myself about um, hitting your protein target and eating your vegetables. And I was like, I swear <laughs> I say this about five times a week, you know, whether it be on social yeah. media, in check-ins, whatever. I'm like, we need to get these veggies in. Like, and actually, you know, whilst I'm here to kind of back things up, when we talk yes. about getting our fruits and our vegetables in and people go, okay, like five serves of veg, two serves of fruit. Like, what does that really look like? Yeah, no, really good question. So and it, I think it's something that a lot of people sometimes, I guess, don't really, not not, not understand, but like can't visualise it because it can be quite difficult. So what I say is that two cupped hands, and I know it sounds very unusual, two cupped hands is about one to two serves of vegetables. And usually one piece of fruit or about 150 grams is one serve of fruit. So as we know, with the dietary guidelines, we're usually aiming for about two serves of fruit and five serves of vegetables throughout the day. But I think it's important to know as well, it's good to vary this up um, throughout our day. So we don't want to be having, I guess, maybe for some people they might enjoy it, for some people might not. But I usually prefer having one serve of fruit as a morning snack and then maybe in the afternoon. And then with our vegetables, maybe including it with our dinner, our lunch, and then maybe something in the afternoon as well. And I think that's a good way of just varying it up a little bit, and, but also meeting those requirements as well. Yeah, absolutely. And for those that do like that, I work with that struggle with getting their fruit and veg in because it is a very common one. And I, yeah, went on a bit of a rant before of like, we can't just focus on like, there's the pyramid of like, okay, we need our calories, our macros, our micros, you know, then we can look at like meal timing and supplementation. And I know, you know, the pyramid I'm talking about, yeah. it's in the research, right. But it's like, people want to jump straight to like, what supplement are I going to take? And it's like, no amount of supplementation is going to fix you not getting these bare basics in. Right. And I think yeah. like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong in your stance on it as well, but like Instagram sells a, let's eat all these like big dessert fucking, if it fits your macros things for breakfast. And then it kind of sets you yeah. up it's like, you know, crash highs and lows throughout the day. So it's like just changing yeah. some small things. Yeah. And it's like when it comes to the, you know, the fruits and the veg, often like I'll get, you know, some of the girls to really sneak their vegetable, um, their vegetables, their uh, fruits in kind of around their workouts, give them a little bit more of a pet me up for, you know, pre-training, obviously very, very helpful. Um, but the vegetable one is like the biggest kind of barrier I find. And I know personally before, you know, many, many years ago, I'd be like, okay, like, how am I going to get these things in? So I know yeah. I've got like a couple of little ways for myself of like sneaking them in with, you know, your smoothies, adding in, like doing some stir fries, um, you know, like people have been blending them up into sauces and like just adding things that way. What's maybe yeah. the top three ways to get more vegetables in like with a specific kind of strategy? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So one of them, it's exactly what you said, Re. It's the smoothie one, really trying to blend them in and combine them with um, what we're eating already. I think that can be a really good strategy to get them in. And particularly for people who may not particularly like the taste of vegetables, it sort of gets rid of that as well. Yeah. Another one is including them in everyday food. So with a stir fry, it might say to add a certain amount of vegetables already, which is fantastic. If not, though, I think adding some different capsicum, onion can be a really good way just to build that up. Some other strategies I also use, um, I don't know if you've seen them, especially as we enter the winter months, it can be um, something that I really focus on. Those Even those steam packet of vegetables that you get from Woolies, Coles, can be a really good thing just to include at our lunch and our dinner. It's just a small goal I set with some clients where I'll say, all right, let's go buy a pack of five and let's start with for every lunch before we have it. We're going to heat up those vegetables. Usually takes two and a half minutes and we're going to have that. From that, you get that's two serves of vegetables and that really starts you on your way to really building those serves up. Now, I know a lot of people sometimes have the question, what's the, is there a nutrition difference between frozen and fresh vegetables? The answer is not much at all. And if frozen vegetables is the way you prefer to get your veggies in, this is absolutely fine. And they're full of those nutrients and vitamins that are really important as well. Absolutely. And it's funny that you say that is because it goes back to that 1% of like, well, is there, you know, there might be this like 0.01% difference between a frozen and a fresh, but it's like, you're not getting it in anyway. So how about we just have the frozen? <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you've had that with any of your clients, but um, yeah, it's um, I think I do see the um, benefits of fresh vegetables, particularly, I guess, when we talk about food wastage and packaging, I think, that's a really important consideration, particularly in the 21st century when we're talking about sustainability. But I think it's also important as well to know if we've got someone or someone's really struggling to get their veggies in, frozen veggies can be a great way to um, really increase that vegetable intake. And there are other things we can do around food wastage as well to really minimise this as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it is an important consideration to make. And it's, again, like developing this over time. If someone's not having any vegetables, maybe the end goal is to really have those like fresh vegetables, but the building blocks to get there are add your steamer will pack in before lunch. Or even I know some of the girls, um, girls and guys, I should say, within the team will add, uh, you know, some steamed veg um, with some of their prepackaged meals, because, you know, some of those meal prep companies, very helpful for someone maybe who's a little bit time poor, but probably not the high amount of vegetables that we do need with a meal and an easy way is just add an extra you know serving of that they often have a lot more like flavors and sauces than we typically cook with when we're making our own meals at home so then it's like okay cool now you're getting double the serve of veg um and really just like getting that in throughout your day so you're not getting to the back end of the day thinking oh no i need to get all my vegetables in i know for some people the time poor um frozen meals are a really good option and some people might be thinking oh but are they the healthiest? In all honesty, I have frozen meals most of the time. And as you said, I add vegetables to them. Um, what we need to be careful of when it comes to frozen meals is the sodium content. So this can be seen on the back of the packaging, just because some of them can have those added preservatives and might be a bit higher in salt. And it was obviously we want to check um, the carbohydrates, protein as well, just to make sure these are um, within the ranges we're hoping for and we're poten potentially targeting. But as I said, there's a lot, as you've probably seen, Reed, there's a lot of different options out there in terms of frozen meals that are really, really good. Yeah, ab no, absolutely. And, and again, it comes back to 
understanding the principles of nutrition, the fundamentals, the bare basics, the targets, and really building from there. And it is, it's that kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm picturing like a, um, a little, like a little staircase <laughs> all the way yeah. up. Yeah. It's like starting yeah. with that and then kind of going there. And yeah, yeah. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to take a quick break to let you know how you can work with me. I currently have places inside of the Glow Up program. If you don't know what this is, it is a completely personalized programming, nutrition, and education online coaching service. I've specifically designed this to help women get strong and shape their physique, whether that's lose fat, build muscle, or both. The Glow Up is best suited for women who love lifting, but haven't ever had their programming or nutrition customized specifically to them. Maybe you've dabbled in some classes or you've seen some results from PDFs and other app programs. You want to get better, more efficient and long-term sustainable results, all whilst learning a whole heap about your body along the way. Maybe you've had a coach before, but you're still struggling with overtraining, undereating, and that all or nothing fixed mindset approach. Nothing is ever good enough and you want to be able to hit those results without constantly crashing and burning or just burning the candle at both ends. To claim your spot, DM me the glow up on Instagram or hit the show notes for your application form. I'll be in touch to let you know for a good fit. A good segue to kind of go in a few common issues and things that we see like within diets. And I thought it was a good time to mention for those that aren't really understanding some of the fundamentals. I actually recorded a podcast episode. I think it's episode three, but I'm going to link it in the show notes anyway, so they can go and have a look there. Kind of going through the bare basics of like talking about protein, carbs, fats, all those types of things. Um, So I'll leave them there and then they can come back and listen to the rest of this stuff if they're kind of like, well, where are we at with all these diets? Um, but I thought, you know, let's talk a little bit more about one that often gets left off. And I know that you're very passionate about talking about is fiber. Um, now I prescribe a fiber intake and, you know, this is varying depending and again, depending on the level of client that I'm working with, where they're at, the nutritional literacy, um, but making sure that we're taking into consideration as well as now me thinking in advance, we're going to be doing Spartan race. And it's like, you know, fiber intake, we're not having a high amount of fiber of the morning of that's not the vibe so i'm not going to go down that maybe we'll we'll jump on another episode before we get into that um but tell me a little bit more about from your understanding the importance of fiber and maybe some of the common misconceptions and issues you see yeah absolutely and i think fiber is a very good thing to talk about um in health and as a dietitian particularly you do talk about things like poo all the time and fiber is definitely no exception to that so When we get down, I guess, to the fundamental basics, fiber is the edible part of plants that's not absorbed in the small bowel, and it's actually broken down by bacteria in the large bowel. Now, the importance of fiber is not only for, I guess, our bowel motions, but it can also help to regulate our blood sugar level and can also help help us feel fuller for longer. Now, this is really important, particularly if we have certain nutrition goals we want to focus on, because if we're trying to potentially reduce the amount of food we're having or the, reduce the amount of calories, helping us feel fuller for longer and more satisfied can really help um, when we go from meal to meal. Now, some issues with lower fiber intake or chronic um, low fiber can be things like constipation, diarrhea, and can pretend, some studies have actually been shown to increase the, um, our levels of chronic disease as well. So when it comes to the, and I come back to the nutrition guidelines around fiber, it's usually around 25 to 30 grams um, per day, but this will vary between genders and also the type of activity we're doing as well. As you said, Ree, you're doing a Spartan race. So what we actually want to focus on there is actually lower fiber intake before a certain sporting event. 
The reason we want to do that is to really reduce the risk of an upset stomach. And I know when I was training for my marathon, the last thing we want to do is feel like we need to go to the bathroom um, during a race. Absolutely. Now, obviously, there's different <laughs> there's different components, um, not just fibre, but that's definitely something we can focus on. But I think overall, when we talk about um, our overall nutrition, fibre is something that's really important. And it's really important that we do try to achieve this on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's worth noting as well when it comes to these recommended like kind of daily intakes, I think it's important that it's based on certain calorie prescriptions as such. So depending on how active someone is and how inactive someone is, this kind of fiber intake is really going to vary depending on the level of food that they're eating. I guess, you know, if we can talk about someone who's eating three to 4,000 calories a day versus someone who's eating 1800 calories a day, their fiber target is going to be quite different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think when it comes to, I guess, different inter, um, targets, obviously, when we talk about nutrition, it's very individual and it will vary from person to person. But I think if we use those guidelines as base and really work from there, that can be really important and a really, really good, as we said at the start, um, a really good foundational step. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when we think about the broader issue, it's really more that there's a lack of people getting enough fiber as opposed to probably the upper end of the scale getting too much. But you would be surprised in the two types. And I know I have a bit of a, not a biased view, but when I'm talking, I'm not talking specific or general population. I'm kind of talking to the two different client types that I work with. It's like one yeah. side of the scale, very, very minimal fiber. On the other side of the scale, it's like there's too much going on um, in certain things. And then it's like, you know, when we're adjusting our food volume and all that kind of stuff, it's like we need to make sure that we're not just like, you know, up like 50 grams of fiber in a day. Like that's not the vibe, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think when it comes to adding fiber into our diet, we can do it in small little increments throughout the day, which at the end gets us to our target, but also, as you said, doesn't go over the top with it as well. Yeah. I think it's important to remember as well with, as you said, those clients that might be a bit lower in fiber intake, there have been some studies to suggest. And um, even when I said there's a heightened risk of chronic disease, high sugar intake, I think that really comes back to Fiber obviously helps us feel fuller for longer. So if we're not getting that in, we're potentially eating more throughout the day. And this might be higher sugar foods, high foods and saturated fat, which could potentially contribute to this as well. So I think as you're probably, um, as we're probably, um, you've probably gained from the conversation now, um, everything goes hand in hand. So it's really important, as I said, to take that balanced approach. Please don't feel like there's a lot to consider or anything like that. It's just really about getting those fundamentals right and really working on specific things as you move forward. Yeah. And I think like the important part is it is very personalized. Like someone yes. you know, who's completely inactive, um, really low fiber intake comparatively to someone who's super, super active, they're getting a heap of fiber in. you're going to be focusing on different things. So it's like, we need to look at those like bare basic habits, build our house brick by brick, and then make those yep. adjustments from there rather than kind of general rules of thumb are great. Um, but I think sometimes we can, for, for those that I work with and those that are kind of be listening are that type, type A perfectionist, like, okay, that's exactly what we said. We need to do it. So sometimes I'll go yep. with like a bit of a guide of like between here and here and, and those that are, you know, quite low, see really positive out, um, positive outcomes, I should say, from increasing the fiber intake from just that standpoint of like feeling fuller you know, not constantly dealing with that hunger craving and kind of battling with themselves. I actually wanted to touch on that too, is that when it comes to, I guess, a lower fiber intake, and obviously sometimes it can take a little while for someone to really get in the, a good habit of like building that fiber up. What's your standpoint on adding some things in like Metamucil or using like psyllium husk in different kind of like cooking and all that? 
Yeah, um, so psyllium husk, things like that can be a great way to increase our fiber intake. Um, what I would be suggesting with all of them, and I think it's really important with most supplements we talk about, is really making sure we are consulting our GP or doctor just to make sure they're happy with it and there aren't any other medical conditions or issues that might affect um, our intake of this as well. Overall, I think psyllium husk is a great way to increase our fiber intake. But as we've talked about, and when we talked about, when you talked about that food pyramid before, Ray, I think starting with a food first approach when it comes to adding fiber is obviously a really good way to go about it. So some of the things can be increasing our vegetable intake, increasing our fruit intake as well, if we're not meeting those two serves a day or vegetables, five serves a day. And also our legumes as well. Almonds, nuts can be a great way. So about a handful of nuts usually equates to about seven or eight grams of fiber, which is fantastic. And really going for that food first approach. But as you said, those little things as well can be really beneficial just to top up and really make sure we're hitting those fiber targets. Absolutely. And I think it's important to preface. It's like the end goal is to be in that position. Um, but for those that are really, really far away from that, it's like, how can we bridge and, and help fill the gaps of what's going on to change those things? Because it's like someone thinking now I have to like, I'm just picturing someone going, I have to cook all my food and have all this thing. And it's like too hard basket, like that all or nothing yeah. approach. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. If we're going to miss some of these things. Like let's add it in, let's make our adjustments and make sure that we're, you know, the end goal is here. And I think it's so important with any anything like having an end goal reverse engineering that approach and that's kind of how we get those sustainable long-term results hey yeah absolutely and even when you said like um and it, it is quite common in nutrition people might read something and think oh i've got to change my whole dietary approach it's yeah. more just i guess when we talked about it if we want to make the goal of increasing our vegetable intake and we're able to achieve that through some of the ways we talked about you're also increasing your fiber intake as well so yeah. the two go hand in hand so I think it's important to know it's we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here or anything. It's just getting those fundamentals right. And I come back to it, those really, um, those Australian guidelines will help us meet our fibre intake and all those other nutrient and vitamin intakes as well. Yeah, perfect. And I actually want like good segue to talk about the impacts of actually not getting these fruits and vegetables in from like an athletic standpoint. So something that comes up a lot is, you know, I, I guess this is another topic in itself of like iron deficiencies and all that kind of stuff. But when we're talking about people maybe getting lightheaded in the gym or they're not able to, you know, perform at that top level that we're trying to, you know, hit the hundred kilo deadlifts and do all these kind of like athletic pursuits. It's like, yeah. what kind of role does these micronutrients play in that? Yeah, no, really good question. So I think when it comes to gym performance or sporting performance, something I really focus on with my clients, whether they be an athlete or someone that's just looking to get back into the gym semi-regularly, is really trying to have that small snack before we go into the gym and making sure we do include some carbohydrates as this is really important to really make sure our sugar levels are up and that can really help to reduce those feelings of fatigue, lethargy, and sometimes people might get a bit lightheaded, as you mentioned as well. So I really focus on that. In terms of fiber intake, as we said just before, sometimes I try not to really emphasize this. As I said, sometimes people can get a bit of an upset stomach and that's the last thing we want to be doing when, as you said, we're going for a PB deadlift or anything like that as well. I think fundamentally though, going back to it, I think having those structured meals throughout the day, whether we're performing, whether we're going to the gym after work, before work or during the day, it really allows us to make sure we've topped up our vitamin and nutrient stores and can really help with that overall performance as well. But yeah, as you said, like specifically um, one or two hours before the gym, I really recommend like 
piece of fruit or something a bit higher in carbohydrates, really just to top up that sugar, those sugar levels and really help us perform at our best. Yeah, perfect. And look, and that's something that I work with, obviously, within um, the team. And I, I know there's, there'll be a few people listening that are doing that really well, but they're missing out on their fruits and vegetables throughout the day. So they're getting their, you know, pre-workout carbs and that's gone all around Instagram. They're feeling really good, but then they're like, oh, I just didn't feel as strong today. And it's like, well, we're not kind of like hitting all the bare basics of that nutrition. So I guess for the person that listening, that's like, mm, I can kind of skip on the vegetables. What are you going to say to that person in relation to their performance and their physique that they're trying to shift yeah no absolutely so I think it's important if someone I guess really isn't interested in having that many vegetables or maybe doesn't enjoy the taste and I think it's important to really understand it from their point of view and really delve into potentially why they don't want to include vegetables sometimes it can be it's just too difficult and then as we said we can come up with some strategies around that as we've already talked about I would also be talking about I guess in terms of meeting those micronutrient and um, macronutrient requirements, vegetables really do get, uh, really do help us achieve these. And it also, I guess, in terms of our overall athletic performance as well, it helps us feel fuller for longer. And when it comes to those micronutrients, these can be really important. Um, I know with athletes, we're talking about bare margins, one percenters, sometimes including those vegetables daily, getting into that routine can be the difference between winning and losing, scoring a try or not. So I'm referring to some white lads here. Um, And sometimes it is um, those one percenters that are really important. And I always try and bring it back to when it comes to vegetable intake, potentially not talking about performance specifically, but also the benefits to our overall health. So in terms of reducing our risk of chronic disease, reducing, um, improving our weight, potentially blood sugar control, Vegetables are really important for these as well. Yeah. So basically in a bit of a nutshell, it's like micronutrients are very important. <laughs> and if we're not getting them, it's going to have a you know negative impact on our overall health. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, as we said, through not only vegetables, but also proteins, our grains, fruits as well, that they're really great ways to really build those and really make sure we're hitting those micronutrient targets. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, just important to hear, I think is um, like you said, it's, but you know, not between like winning or losing, but it kind of is, it's like, you know, it's so important. Like once we've got these foundational layers of this food pyramid, and I feel like I'm going to need to like get that and put it on and clip it into the, you know, Instagram one <laughs> that pop up um, so people can see that themselves. I know a few in the team have seen it as well, but yeah, it's like making sure that we're getting all the bare basics done. But then as we start to progress through there and we're in that more intermediate to advanced level, it's like, we can't, you know, mess around with this stuff anymore. If we're really trying to perform and, you know, do these things and be an athlete, as opposed to just kind of you know, exercising for general health and well-being, that's kind of the category, you know, that my clientele sort of falls into. It's like these things are important. And I think the next part of that is like hydration. And that's something that I I get excited to talk about is because hydration is not specifically just water. Like obviously water intake is important, um, but there's a whole fluid balance, you know, there's all these things and we're getting out, we're increasing our hydration status through different things like your vegetable content and, you know, your milks and yogurts and things like that. So I know that you're super passionate about this area as well. Um, but tell me a little bit more about like, what are the common things that you see when it comes to someone with a really poor hydration status versus someone with a really high hydration status? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, as I said, sorry, I feel like a bit of a broken record sometimes (laughs) talking about, um, nutrition where I'm saying eat a lot of veggies and drinking water but um it really comes back to it sometimes honestly like when we think about 
we all know, I think drinking water is really important for us, but it's, it's important for a few reasons. So kidney function, brain function, skin health, they really range. And back to your question, when you mentioned someone with a lower hydration intake, sometimes it might just be they're so busy during the day, they just forget to drink water or forget to um, replenish their fluids. Alternatively, I see some cases where people are drinking, opting for soft drink or juices as opposed to water specifically. And on the other end of the spectrum, I see some people that really are have gotten into a habit of drinking a lot of water every day. They usually, I know you might have seen them as well, those drink bottles that have the little increments throughout yeah. the day that, and it's maybe a two litre. I really I really think they're a really good idea, actually. I get a few I get a few girls to um, set alarms throughout the day. So like, not like not, they don't have to be like loud alarms. They can just be like on the watch or whatever. Just a little bit of a reminder of like, okay, drink your water because you do, you, you're busy and you forget. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And one little strategy I, ha- I usually try and um, take to my clients as well, particularly those that might not be getting as much fluid in as they potentially should is just try simple things to start. So let's try a glass of water with each main meal. So by doing that, you re- you're usually hitting about, if it's, let's say we have, uh, I don't know, let's start with a very basic small cup, 250 mils of water, three meals a day. That's 750 mils already. Now, if we think about the water content of food, maybe different hydration, as you mentioned, milk-based beverages are actually really good for hydration. And some studies have actually shown they could be better than even sports drinks for those athletes out there. But just by doing that, you're increasing your water intake by 750 mils. And coming back to where we were talking about those small sustainable goals, from there we can really build it up to whatever the fluid requirements are for the individual. So as with everything, this will be very individualised and based on different medical conditions as well. But I think really building that step-by-step is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like it's worth talking about is, I, 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 you know, kind of like coaching stuff. And I feel like we're, we're similar in that sense of like for, you know, meeting the person with where they, were, where they are at and taking them to where they need to go. Um, but really like the actual negative impacts of like not getting this stuff in. I think for someone like myself prior to the knowledge that I have now, and I'm very nerdy behind the scenes, like I'm so excited. I get to do my refresher course for my sports nutrition. Like I got the email now to enroll today and I'm like, I'm going to be jumping off you being like, all right, how am I going to calculate all like hydration status and stuff? for different athletes it, it, it excites me right a little bit weird but hey that's me but it's like I was the person that unless I knew why I was doing something I didn't really want to do it and I don't know I could go into a whole bunch of like diagnostics as to what that is but it's like I kind of wanted to know the reasoning like why like yeah I get it and even as you talk about water every time I start to feel like am I dehydrated I need to drink water like I always get that um even when I'm talking about it to clients but I think like explaining and and I guess like just to kind of go on a bit of a tangent with some of my clientele it's like those that are really really low with their water intake it's like yes we need to build those things up but some of the things they'll report like everything else is kind of where it needs to be and they're like I'm just not recovering well from the gym and it's like well our hydration status actually plays a really crucial role in that so I'd love to kind of talk a little bit more about some of maybe the the whys we should do it maybe those negative impacts to just spark someone to be like oh that's me okay okay that's something I can you know easily implement and so what do you think some of those common issues like obviously recovery from a workout but what else do you see yeah no absolutely so one thing we do see and certain studies have suggested this as well I think when it comes to our gym performance or athletes um, as well they've shown that even a two percent decrease in hydration or making uh, or being dehydrated can actually affect performance significantly So this can be things like our performance, not only uh, in recovery afterwards, but also during as well. 
And then we think about other things as well. So as I mentioned, brain function can be affected, kidney function, our blood volume as well, how we regulate our blood volume. And our skin health as well is really important. And also our overall body temperature. I think this is something that's sometimes forgotten, particularly, I know we're currently going into the winter months at this moment, so it might not be particularly at front of mind, but when we're doing exercise, where our body temperature is going up. So it's really important to take that water in so we are regulating this. Because as I said, increasing that body temperature is, not, is absolutely fine for while we are exercising, but we want to make sure that we are replenishing those fluids as well. I think in terms of, I guess, what hydration strategy we go for, I think this really depends, I guess, on the type of activity, the frequency, and also the intensity we're doing. So usually a rule of thumb is anything um, zero to 90 minutes that's light to moderate exercise, water is a fantastic way to rehydrate and also during as well to make sure we're replenishing those stores and performing at our best. As you said, Rhiannon, as well, there's those other things as well in terms of our nutrition that we need to focus on. Um, whether it be carbohydrates and that overall meal pattern. But usually water, zero to 90 minutes, light to moderate exercise is fantastic. Anything over 90 minutes, though, or something that's very vigorous, you are looking potentially at replenishing those electrolytes, so that sodium, the potassium, and things like sports drinks might be an option there as well. Or even, as you said, milk-based beverages, such as an up-and-go, can be a really good way as well. Yeah, up-and-goes. Every time I think about that, I um, I got my mum onto the up-and-goes. <laughs> We were talking about this like off air of, you know, just, I guess like, I'm, you know, when I think about like my parents and the the stuff that was like fed to them and we might talk about a few like myth busting things that are, you know, pop up in the industry, but I feel like there was a lot of like, don't eat carbs after this time. Don't do this. Don't drink juice. Don't do like all these don'ts. And I think like we share the same thing of like really focusing on what we can add to what we're doing rather than what we can strip away. And I think that's really important, especially with some of the women that I work with, where it's like, they're already being so they've come from a very restrictive place that it's like, what we're going to take away more and I'm eating air. Like that's not the vibe. Right. So it's about like what we can add. Um, but like the, the up and goes, I pretty much was just trying to, I was like, mom, look, just trust me. Like, cause she's like, I don't want to eat. I can't, you know, eat anything when I first wake up. And I was like, fine, we're going to drink an up and go with the up and go energized yeah. with your protein in there. Anyway, every yeah. time I go to their house and I open it up, it's like fully stocked with up and goes. It's so good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. And I think the great thing about milk-based beverages is they're so balanced in terms of their nutrient content. So you get that balance of carbohydrates, which are really important. And I think we'll talk about this later that, Carbohydrates aren't the enemy. They can actually, they're actually very, very beneficial. Um, protein as well, and also fats. So I think, and as I said, certain studies have shown that milk-based beverages for athletes and for people doing that vigorous activity can sometimes be a better hydration rehydration strategy than sports drinks for some. So definitely something to consider. And I think even when you were talking about like as a potential, if we're not feeling like a meal in the morning, which some people aren't, some people aren't morning people, some people can't. Um, really handle like a big breakfast and up and go is a really good alternative to that. Absolutely. And I think uh, my mind just goes into like the evolution of the people that I work with and maybe where they start versus where they end up. And it's like starting from not being able to consume anything. It's like even just try 
one almond and one sip of a juice and like you can slowly build up and I remember I was literally the person who you know way back when and you can go listen to my other episodes to hear my story won't go on it now but it's like when I first started it was like I remember I was working I'd get up at four o'clock in the morning I'm not making some hectic breakfast then like I had no idea so I was just kind of okay like whatever and you know I couldn't keep going on the way that I was going on so then I was you know slowly changing things and making those adjustments and a lot of trial and error and you know a lot of silly things but um you know building up to the point where it's like now I'm like oh, I love like a massive meal for breakfast but I know five to six years ago or probably longer than that now I wouldn't have been able to stomach that and I think one, I think it's important. Like we obviously draw on experience of our own experience or experience that I have with different clientele that I work with, but I, I often see like those barriers and I'm like, Oh, it's such a mirror to, I remember being in that position thinking, how the heck am I going to be having that? And it's like, that's why it's very personal of like, okay, this is where you're at. This is what we're going to change. Like with my mom, I'm like, I'm not going to say, oh, you need to have like eggs on toast and all this like extra stuff. She's like time, you know, all like all of those barriers. So it's like, just drink the up and go. And if that serves the purpose for you, you might stick with that forever, like whatever. But yeah, anyway, it just, I could go on about that stuff for ages. (laughs) No, but you're absolutely right as well. Like I think when it comes to our nutrition and our health in general, and you probably find this with your clients as well, whether it be training at the gym, you've really got to base it around people's lifestyle. So there's no point in telling someone that wakes up at four o'clock and has 15 minutes to get out the door for work that they need to prepare this extravagant breakfast or do a lot of meal planning the day before because it's just not going to be sustainable. So it's about finding those little solutions here and there that can really help them improve their nutrition, but are also sustainable long-term. And then yet potentially down the road, they might feel a bit more confident in preparing something every second or third day. And even though it sounds like it's a long process, those habits you're building slowly are really improving your health and really go a long way to, as as I say, building that healthy, sustainable lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. And a a common thing that I see is those that I'm working with that all or nothing approach. It's like, unless I can do this perfectly Instagrammable from the latest fitness influencers, meal prep and meal planning, I'm just not even going to bother. And then it's like no nutritional, you know, content going on, not hitting any sort of targets. And we're just kind of spinning the wheels. And then we're in this, you know, dysregulated state, like all of that kind of downward spiral. And it's like meal planning can be as simple as packing stuff into a bag and taking that with you to your work. Like it doesn't need to be this like perfect little pretty things that I'm going to take a photo of. If you love that and you have time for that, absolutely. You go do that. But if that's kind of not working for your lifestyle, we need to look at something different and work our way up to there. And, and I remember I was, you know, started making my um overnight oats and I'd put them in the fridge and I'd put all my things in there and I was, you know, trialing different things out. And, and that's what I'm like, if I could, like I reflect, but I was a courier driver at the time. I had my hot pink steel cap boots and I would pack yep. all my stuff into this little plastic container. And then I would like make my little rice cakes and add some tuna. And then I had to add some spinach because I was trying to add some more veggies and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and it's like, it's cool to look back on those things. And I think it's important, like no matter what stage you're at, there's always a step to take forward. And even when you're at a high performance, like think about all the like top, you know, athletes in the world, they're still making adjustments to what they're doing. Like, it's not just that's it. And I've, I've found the answer and this is what I do forever. It always changes. Absolutely. And much like it's not a perfect science, there'll never be the perfect nutrition plan or strategy. There'll always be things that change along our life that really affect what we can eat and also what how we can train as well. And it's really about just building those up. So when it comes to meal planning, you're absolutely right. Sometimes it can be just as simple as 
looking at some things just to pack into a bag and take off with us. But I'd even go back a step further. I've had clients before where they say to me, look, I can only, I can only get food takeaway for lunch that I cannot handle anything else. I'm like, great. Let's have a look at some of the stores near where you stop for lunch and let's look at the menus and pick out some things we could have. Yeah. That is in form of meal planning as well. And sometimes it, yeah, you're absolutely right. It might not be the healthiest thing in the world, but for someone that's potentially having a Big Mac as opposed to a chicken wrap at the store next to it, that's a big change for them. And I think it's all about meeting them where they're at and really building on that. Absolutely. And you know, it just made me think about one of the girls I was speaking with the other day in a very, very similar position to that. It was feeling very confronting. There was, you know, a lot of takeaway being consumed, a lot of Uber Eats. And it's like, let's just have a look at making adjustments to what we're consuming and a couple of little tweaks. And it was just like, this feels like I can do it. And I was like, I can, I'm a little bit too emotional sometimes, but I like get like that visceral feeling of like, this makes me so happy that you feel like you can do that and you can make those changes because it's just that momentum that you need to be able to like, roll that snowball down the hill. Like it's just gaining that momentum. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it, that's the thing. It's about meeting, meeting clients, meeting people we meet at the level they feel comfortable at. And I think it's important when we say we can't reinvent the wheel, we can't bring in these huge changes because studies have shown not only in nutrition, but also other areas of habit building that if we try and change too many things at once, it's, it's just unsustainable. And that's not just for the everyday person. That's for everyone. That's for high-performance athletes, business people, you've got to do things really at a pace that's right for you and really build them up. And that's the way you do build those healthy habits long-term and you do see those changes. Yeah. And I thinking out loud about this is um, I haven't had too much time to reflect on it, but it's like something that I found is a bit of a challenge is the, the night and day between some of the different client types that I'll work with and making sure that there's not a comparison because 100% I'm, you know, I'll have someone that has been in the gym for multiple years is very, has a very high nutritional literacy, but there's still areas to improve the way that we're approaching their training and their nutrition is very, very different to the person that I was speaking about that has is having Uber Eats for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they both can achieve those long-term sustainable results and get the physique results, the strength results, the performance that they want. But the approach and the strategies are very different and they will change over time. Um, and I always talk about like success leaves clues. So yes, have a look and be inspired by people that you want to aim to, you know, be relatively like, be our own version of that. But it's like, okay, what are the types of things they're doing but if that seems so far-fetched we really just need to look at what we can do right now and make those changes from there I think yeah. it's probably a really good time to go into some of those things that bug bears that we get really frustrated about because um, one of the ones in particular I fucking hate it for lack of better words carbs no carbs after 6 p.m and carbs carbs are bad no yeah. tell me more yeah, <laughs> yeah so this is something I guess I started hearing it when I started my university degree and it just continued through. It um, it hasn't really, I guess the momentum of it hasn't stopped. But I think at the same time as um, we can be critical of people that mention this or say this, I think it's important to look at the research around it and potentially why they're saying it as well. I think there are some instances where, yes, if you're having a lot of ice cream at night, Yes, that is going to, from a nutrition standpoint, is not the best. And ice cream, as you know, contains those sugars, those carbohydrates. So, yeah, I do see it in terms of that. However, I think in terms of carbohydrates at night, I think it's important to remember it's okay to have these. And it's really important. Like carbohydrates are really important for our 
overall performance function, whether it be sporting or work as well. I think that's sometimes forgotten. When I talk about performance, I'm not, we're not just talking about how we are at the gym, how we are on the weekend at our sport. It's also how we perform at work, which is really important because as we know, work makes up the majority of our lives. So having those carbohydrates gives us that energy, prevents that fatigue, which is really important. So it's, instead of thinking of it as a time restriction, make sure we are having those carbohydrates throughout the day and at night to really make sure we are supporting that, those nutrition balance as well. So yeah, when I, when I hear about no carbs after night, I think it needs to be, I think people that do say this, I think they've, they do have a certain aspect they're going for. And I do understand that if you are having large quantities of high sugar desserts, yes, absolutely. From a nutrition point, this isn't the worst, but if you're cutting out, potatoes, whole grains at night uh, after a certain time, not the biggest advocate for it, I must say. No. And and that's it. When it comes to the, the conversations that I've heard, and again, like just speaking with the clientele that I'm working with, it's like, oh, carbs after six are going to make you fat. And it's like, sorry, that is actual bullshit. <laughs> it's like, no, but like you said, maybe sometimes like reducing eating windows may be advantageous for different clientele. And again, coming back to the personalized, the daily averages, the weekly averages, like what we're looking at over, you know, the course of the week, the day, the month, etc. But then actually having a think about it, no carbs after 6 p.m. for the person who trains at 4 a.m. that doesn't like to stomach much food. We need probably a heavier meal the night before, not one that's going to impact our sleep, but it's going to leave us with enough fuel in the tank to pep it up with a bit of juice before we go and train. And if we tell that person no carbs after 6 p.m., it's again, it comes back to that personalization, hey? Absolutely, absolutely. And when I think of, I guess, one of the arguments around no carbohydrates at night is its effect on blood sugar levels. But it's important to know as well that for someone that might be have a certain type of diabetes, that having no carbohydrates at night, then going to bed, that can drop it too low and that can really have serious consequences. So it really is important. Yes, we don't want to go over the top with carbohydrates as with all nutrition aspects. We don't want to go over the top with anything and that includes water as well. I think it's important to remember it's yeah. quite, it's probably not appropriate to have five or six liters of water a day, depending on who, depending on the person. But it's just about having that balanced approach, having that amount of carbohydrates to really regulate our blood sugar level, but also keep us, as I said, feeling energized, not feeling fatigued, really important and a really important aspect for really a lot, um, most people to follow as well. Yeah. And that's it. It's like, there's the general overarching principles with absolutely everything and anything. Think about it at work. You know what I mean? I'm sure you've got tasks that you have to complete at work, but the way that you might do it might vary from different time to time, depending on the task and depending on the person. And it's like, we are no different when it comes to the different areas and the four different kind of key pillars that I work with within my coaching is the training, the nutrition, the mindset, and the lifestyle. And they kind of all go hand in hand, making sure that we're making progress in all areas to get that sustainable result. Um, but when we're thinking about, like, I just kind of sparked is the greenwashing, you know, whether everyone, everyone says like eco-friendly, this, that, it's like, they're just slapping a label on it. It's kind of the same thing with like health washing of like gluten-free is healthy. Low fat is healthy. Like, you know, oh, one of my bugbears yeah. is like a protein bar that has like four grams of protein in it. That, that's not actually a protein bar. It's just listed as high protein. because it's Anyway, so what's yeah. some of the ones that you see that are the most bizarre, like ones that you just go, how is this on the label? Yeah, so um, I guess following my research project, it sort of goes hand in hand with that. Um, it required a really in-depth analysis of the food standards code and what can be put on a food label. One of the ones I always see um, is... The, as you said, the higher in protein. 
I think it's important to remember that high protein or or it contains protein are two different meanings and require two different criteria for manufacturers to meet. So what I would say in terms of, I guess, building that nutrition profile and that nutrition base, it's not only, I guess, focusing on those food groups, but also having a look at the back of nutrition labels. As you said, sometimes if it says contains protein, this could mean four grams or not much at all. Whereas something else that doesn't say anything about protein might actually have some more in it. So I think really focusing on that can be really beneficial. One other I saw, particularly when I was doing my research project, was when products say low in fat. Now, you do have to follow certain criteria absolutely for um, in terms of the fat content. And most of these, I must say, were followed um, very well and adhered to the guidelines. However, I think it's really important when we see low fat products, very important to have a look at the sugar content. The reason I say that is that some of these um, products, they might be lower in fat, but in order to increase that flavor, they add more sugar to it. So they're sort of neglecting, reducing one, but heightening another. So, the, and it can go also the other way as well, where they go low sugar, but it might be higher in fat. So that's something I do see, particularly on food labels a little bit. And that's why I always say low fat doesn't always mean healthier. It's really important to have a look at that balanced nutrition profile and really make our decisions from there. Is that something you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. And I just started to think about like comparing nutrition labels. It's a module that I have inside of my coaching of comparing the hundred gram portion or the hundred mil rather than the per serve, because we get caught out very easily with that as like this serve is like a quarter of that serve. But then we're like, oh, you, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. And I find with um, it's really important to look at the per serve sometimes because sometimes the serving can be very not what we think. So <laughs> yeah. I always use the example and I still do this on occasion, I must say. When I see a Tim Tam packet, I usually will go half of it or a full one. However, when we look at the serving packet, it's usually about one or two. And, and that's really important to sometimes and that I think that's really important to look at. And as you said, when we are comparing products, we're going by that per 100 grams, per 100 mils, um, which is really important for comparing products. But also, I think if we do choose a product, having a look at the serving size as well and what this encompasses. As so a, usually, uh, oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry I, I was about to say, it's a really good point because the 100 mil or the 100 gram, it's like, say, you're looking at a family size packet of chips that's 200 grams. It's like yeah. you can then go, okay, half of this 100 gram serving is what I'm probably going to be consuming or a full, depending on if you're sharing it with someone, whatever, but it's like an yeah. easy way to be able to just see that when you're in the shop rather than getting out your barcodes and scanning and doing all this stuff. It's like learning that to be able to read it better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think when it comes down to it, as I always say, it's about a balanced approach. I'm not saying we can never have these not um, sweet foods or foods that might be considered not the best nutritionally. It's just about having that balanced approach. And maybe, as I say, consuming these in moderation as opposed to an everyday thing. I have adopted the 80% whole foods, 20% soul foods kind of mentality. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. still good for the soul. We're not trying to restrict them. And, and again, the the clientele that I'm working with come from that overly restrictive type space um, where it becomes this like yo-yo dieting approach of like absolutely kind of bare basics, nothing, and then over consuming. And it's like to kind of bring those, you know, chocolates and things like that throughout the week is not a bad thing. We can still achieve results and we can still hit all of these guidelines from a nutritional standpoint, depending on the phase we're in as well. And that's kind of a whole nother can of worms for us to go down, I suppose. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess following on from that, like when um, a lot of the clients I used to see, and I still do see it's 
this, I guess, when they are quite restrictive or wanting to follow something religiously, they, I've had a few clients that they're doing quite well for a couple of weeks. Then the next week they'll say, oh, I've fallen off the wagon. Oh, I just didn't have a good week. Just, um, and the approach I take with them is I think it's time to get rid of the wagon. I'm, uh, I just think in terms of it, let's just ditch it. I think when I think about if we maybe have a bad day or a bad week, it's a great learning experience moving forward. We can see what worked, what didn't work. So nutritionally the best, I think when it comes to it, I think it's really important. We take those lessons and we say, all right, maybe it is important that we include maybe a food that or a meal that isn't nutritionally the best, just to make sure I am satisfying those cravings, feeling good. And that can really lead to those really sustainable changes and that overall healthy diet long-term, as opposed to feeling like we've made a huge mistake and we need to reset. It's not, I don't think it's about resetting necessarily or coming back on the wagon. It's about leaving the wagon to a side and just learning along the way. Hi, it's Re again. I just wanted to interrupt this episode super, super quick to let you know that my free community group where we talk things, training, nutrition, mindset, lifestyles, Q&As, polls, you name it, we're in there. The vibes are going strong. So it is a free community group on Facebook. You'll find all the details in the show notes below. So please add yourself in there and I look forward to chatting with you. Thinking then as we've been talking a lot, I know that we've covered a lot from a more a more of a fat loss kind of type uh, discussion, I suppose, as opposed to, or just healthy habits in general as well. And, you know, that kind of thing. But when it comes to, I guess, nutrition from a fat loss phase versus going into a growth phase, this might look very different for certain people. And I know that there are those out there that, you know, have been in this forever dieting space that really do need to pursue something like a growth phase to build the muscle tissue that they want to achieve the physique and strength results that they do want. I think like, and I'd love your take on this as well. It's like the, the easy kind of food swaps because when we're talking about a fat loss phase we are thinking that higher volume lower calorie type foods things are going to keep us very you know satiated and full and I have a fat loss cheat sheet I'll probably leave in the show notes too um, because that really encompasses the the conversation that we've had today but then looking at the place of like struggling to get that food in and actually needing to consume more I actually have a lot of clientele in that space as well so then if we're kind of like flipping it and we're talking about that that low carb and the reduced eating windows and you know this no carbs after 6 p.m it can actually be quite a, a negative thing for that type of person what what's your take on that absolutely so when it comes to I guess and I have this a lot with athlete clients as well where they're actually having to either they're looking to um, increase muscle mass or increase overall weight or potentially they're just having that increased energy expenditure and do need to eat more just to satisfy this. So one of the ones, main ones I look at, you just mentioned it, is adding some potentially some more carbohydrates to our meals. That can be really important and a really good way to increase our overall energy intake and really make sure, as I said, we're feeling that energy. Other ones I say, including uh, adding a bit more protein to our meals can be really important, especially if we are, I guess, looking at increasing that muscle. That was a, that's another thing I see as well, that we need to eat a lot of protein or copious amounts of protein to increase muscle. Not the case. You do need to elevate it slightly, but it doesn't need to go over the top. And I look at other things as well. One of the main ones I see is really emphasizing, I guess, those snacks in between those main meals can be a great way to I guess when we are in our growth phase to really increase that as well. 
Yeah, definitely. And when I, I actually thought about it when I was cooking this morning is um, putting, you know, I've got corn thins that I'm, I'm chucking um, my meals on in the morning, my breakfast, I should say. My obsession is corn thins, avocado, tomato, and egg whites. <laughs> Just yeah. obsessed with it at the moment, a little bit of salt. <laughs> but it's like, you know, someone, and I know that is struggling to kind of eat and consume, they're hearing a lot of like, oh, add corn thins. And this is the way to, you know, make sure things are low calorie and low this and low that. And it's actually really, really um, negatively impacting that potential, that person and the results that they want to achieve by going for the spud light when they're struggling to eat enough normal potato, they really probably need to switch something up to eating a bit more pasta. Like obviously, you know, those whole grain versions of pasta are going to be helpful, ticking the box with your fiber and all that kind of stuff. But it's like those kind of swaps. It's like kind of the opposite of what we're trying to do in the fat loss phase to make it really successful. We need to look at the opposite of those things kind of in the growth phase from a food selection standpoint, um, you know, for the person that's eating the corn thins and trying to eat a heap of corn thins and not getting their, you know, not hitting their carbohydrate intake. Not, I have a lot of clientele that are not reaching their actual food target in general. Um, so it's yeah. like the, the approach for that person is very, very different. Absolutely. And as you said, I think, Obviously, with any particular food, we don't want to go way over the top. For example, we wouldn't want to have six or seven corn thins a day, but a strategy around that might be, as you said, let's add some things to the corn thins. Let's add avocado or peanut butter to increase those healthy fats. Let's add a bit of protein as well, whether it be egg whites, a little bit of tuna can be a great way. And as we've talked about um, at the start of the podcast, adding some vegetables to it. So some tomatoes, some lettuce can be a great way to really increase that bulk of food you are increasing your calories as well but you're also really focusing on those nutritionally more favorable products as well which i think is really important so you're really you're not just going for unhealthy foods because i think it's really important that we talk about that when we are trying to increase our calories our for example our energy potentially our protein we don't want to say all right this is a license to eat whatever we want it's definitely it's far from that it's making sure these meals are still nutritionally adequate but just maybe increasing the frequency or increasing the amount we're having. Yeah, absolutely. And, and talking about like the the women that I'm working with and the things that they want is that food flexibility of that food freedom and not locked into this low calorie, low this, <laughs> no sugar, no fat, no nothing, just air and train really hard. It's like for that person that's overtraining and under eating, you know, consuming a lot more of those higher calorie, still nutritionally dense options is going to be so much more beneficial to the result they're trying to achieve than constantly sitting in the side of like low calorie, this, that. But then you've got the other side of the coin of someone who's over consuming and, you know, not maybe moving as much or struggling to kind of, you know, um, get into the the adoptive mindset of a fat loss phase and being successful there, that strategy is very different. And I think we we keep coming back to the, again, it's the overarching principles. It's the individual, their lifestyle, their circumstances. And these are the things that you don't get with just a generic, here's a PDF, go follow that. Or here's your app, go and randomly do that. Like it's not, it's yep. not the vibe. Absolutely. And I think, as you said, nutrition goals are what we're aiming for. We'll absolutely dictate how we approach nutrition strategies, fitness strategies, health goals. So I think that's a really important takeaway from today that it is very individualized. What we want to achieve will vary from person to person. So I really, I guess, when we're talking to your listeners, we want to really say, please don't compare yourselves to others. They might have nutrition goals that are vastly different. And they also have different things going on that are vastly different as well. So that's all going to play a role, I think, in our what we eat, how we train. So it's really important to just focus on, as I said, 
those small sustainable steps, get those basics right and really build those healthy habits over time that are really suited to you. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, again, as I just said that then I was just like, I thought of a conversation I had the other day around, um, you know, like eating out and choosing certain foods and things like that. And it's like from a, from a place of like fearing what other people are going to think and judge about the foods and things that you're consuming. I think that's a very big, like widespread problem, I would say. And it's like, you know, everything that we've discussed, it's not about this one meal or this one thing. It's about on average, what's happening. What are we doing throughout the day? Are we getting well-rounded balanced meals? And I think like going for the burger and fries option, and that's the only time that person's decided to eat some more calorie dense food for the whole week. And then someone throwing and casting judgment on that. It's like, it can be very, very jarring for the person who is very conscious around what they're doing. And I think like these blanket rules are the problem. It's like, we need to look at blanket principles and then like different ways throughout that. Absolutely. And as you said, I, I really, I think, it's a real sticking point for me when I hear people talking about someone's appearance, what someone's eating. Um, it, I don't think certain people realise, I guess, the damage that can cause to someone else. And as you said, you don't know someone's circumstances. You don't know what their goals are, what's going on in their lives. And I know little comments like that, even talking to clients that have experienced this, it can just, it can really affect them. So yeah, I think it's something that I guess society in general needs to really focus on because it's not healthy for anyone and it really does um, does a lot more damage than I guess can be initially perceived. Yeah, you know, agreed. It's, it's yeah, it's focusing on you and not comparing and not judging others and being curious. You can ask someone like, oh, what are you, you know, why are you doing that or what are you doing? But when it's like, oh, you're doing that. I, um, yeah. Yeah, it's anyway, that's that's a whole nother kind of side thing. So I guess we've covered off on a lot. There's a lot of things, and I feel like we could probably keep talking for another like four to five hours, I reckon. Like obviously both very passionate about the topics. I think nutrition's like that. And I think um one thing um a lot of dietitians say is that when we go to parties and stuff like that, we never mention we're a dietitian because you, you just get all these friend, you just get all these rapid fire questions, which are fantastic. But um it, it usually takes a large part of your day and or your night <laughs> it does I was at dinner after the photo shoot and I was like just trying to stop myself from talking about anything but like the girls like obviously I'm working with them and they were asking about something and I'm like oh like just trying to give like a two second answer and not go into detail like we don't need to analyze the food that's on the plate and if you ask me to do it I'm gonna want to do it because it's interesting to me but like <laughs> I don't want to at the same time we don't need to ruin our dinner it's so funny <laughs> No, and as you said, it's a really interesting topic and it's really good to talk about as well. Um, and as you said, as we said, it's it's a new science, so there's always new things to learn and everyone's going to have different opinions. So I think overall it's really important to respect these and really, as I said, follow the evidence where it takes us. And I think, honestly, if we had this podcast in five more years, we might be talking about completely different things that have come up um, in the nutrition world. And I think that's really exciting. It, it, it is. It's it's both like, yeah, exciting and interesting. And it's just what we've got in front of us now. It's like, I think like to sum everything up and, you know, correct me if, you, if I'm wrong or whatever you want to add to it. It's like, really, it comes down to education and personalization. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I do want to have a little bit of fun and you don't know these questions yet, but I did tell you there were going to be some rapid fire questions coming. Just a couple yep. of little quick ones, just for a little bit of fun. So first thing that pops into your head when I say your favorite source of protein. Portuguese chicken. Oh, yum. 
<laughs> your favorite yeah. carb? A pod. Oh, that's a difficult one. Oh, banana. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. I like Best it. Fruit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> favorite fat? Garlic aioli. I thought you were gonna say avocado, but I was just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I, I, I was tempted, I was tempted, but first thing that popped into my head, I've got to say, I do like a little bit of avocado. That's too good. Um, what's your favorite body part to train? Oh, probably, probably shoulders because I always, and funny enough, I actually always, I know it's rapid fire, I actually always struggled with this when I started at the gym. Um, it was always my weakest body part, so it was, I guess, a real focus. and I did a lot of research on what type of movements to do, how to build it slowly and progressively. So now to see the, I guess, the progress that I've got with it um, yeah. has, yeah, it's become now my favorite just because it was such a focus for me at the gym. Yeah. That's so good. Look, it's fine with the rapid fire because I feel like we go on tangents anyway. We share the same sort of strategy in the sense of like, I was kicking an AFL ball around and I absolutely sucked. And my brother's really, really good at AFL. And I was like, now I just want to be the expert at like the best kicker that you can be in terms of the AFL ball. But yeah. it's like, it is exciting. It's like, if we have that sort of strategy with anything um, and that mindset, it's like that determination to make our weaknesses our strengths, it's going to go far. Absolutely. Last one, what is your favorite specific exercise? Oh, that's a good one. I've got to say, I really, I'm really enjoying lunges at the moment. Ooh, um, walking yeah. lunges? Walking lunges, yeah. It's probably not going to sit well with um, certain people that, <laughs> that listen to this because I know lunges can be the worst. And even my training partner says that he, he's been always trying to get that out of our training program. So um, if he's listening to this, I'm sorry. It's not coming out, but yeah. Um, yeah, walking lunges, um, I really enjoy. Um, because yeah. especially after I had a few injuries, the physios that I went to um really emphasized it, the importance of it. So really focusing on that and yeah, really enjoy it. Yeah, no, it's good. Like I funnily enough, I actually enjoy lunges as well. And um, yeah, the the girls, like some of them love it, some of them hate it. I prefer <laughs> Bulgarian split squat though, if I'm honest. Like that's I know, like seems a bit nuts, but and I'm not trying to be <laughs> hardcore, like I actually do enjoy it. Um but I think like, again, this is me going to come out with the PT and all this kind of stuff, but it's like, you need to work like both sides of your body. Like you're not going to get better in a deadlift. If one part of your body's do like one side of your body's doing all the work and then the left side's just over there hanging on for dear life. Like you need to make sure that we're, you know, strong in all areas. This has been so much fun. Honestly, I feel like, again, I reckon we, you know, book one in later towards that um, Spartan race and talk a little bit more like specifics around that. I think that would be really, really cool. Um, but I think the last little thing before we wrap up is one where can people find you my main social media handles are on instagram so sandwich nutrition um so s-a-m-w-i-c-h underscore nutrition or um my website as well so swdietitian.com perfect and we'll leave those in the show notes so it's nice and easy to just click through um and also if you were to give a piece of advice to two people, the first one being one that's very brand new to nutrition and the other being like a top performing athlete, what would you give those two separate people when it comes to nutrition in general? Yeah. So for, I'll start with the um, high performance athlete. The first bit of nutrition advice I would give them would actually be in the form of a question. It would be where, what parts of nutri your nutrition do you think are going to make the difference between winning and losing? For many athletes, this is what they're focused on. I think it's important to remember athletes Athletes are absolutely focused on their nutrition, but their overall um, emphasis is, am I going to win or am I going to lose? So yeah. starting with that, get some right on the right track and they're like, all right, let's focus on this or let's focus on that. 
and then you can have your input too about where you think that difference might come from. For um, the person that's just coming into nutrition, um, I'm firstly asking what they know already. And then I'm asking, honestly, I, you know what the first thing I usually do is ask for their foods, likes and dislikes. And we go from there and we talk about them. We talk about what are some of the good things about this particular food and nutritionally, what are some of the things that potentially could be swapped out, improved to really incorporate that as well. Yeah, no, I love it. And it just gives a, a credit to the personalization aspect of like, it's not a one size fits all. It's a, let's get down to the nitty gritty and figure out what it is and go from there. So I think that's a perfect way to wrap it all up. And thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. And I hope that if anyone has any other questions or wants to hear anything more on these topics that they can slide on into the DMs. And um, yeah, I've really appreciated your time and we'll see everyone in the next episode. <laughs> No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the You But More Powerful podcast. If you're determined to continue to expand and grow and reach heights you never thought were possible, you'll want to make sure you're subscribed so you'll never miss out on a single episode. If you loved today's, I would absolutely love your feedback and to see you tag at You But More Powerful underscore podcast on Instagram. See you guys in the next episode.